Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall. Bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the wall. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Friday's live radio broadcast right here on Omega Radio. You're listening to The Watchmen. I'm Pastor Vincent Xavier. It's good to be with you. And there are many watchmen around the world that are watching, and there's a lot to see. There is a lot to see going on in the world today. I want to just begin by simply stating that we are living in the most dangerous times in the history of the world. Bible prophecy is unfolding at an accelerated rate of speed, just like the Bible said that it would. And remember, there are always two sides to every coin. There are two sides to every day. There's a day of darkness. There's a day of light. And it always depends on what side of the day you and I want to be living in and what day we will be living in. So what does it mean the Bible says that the times will come in an accelerated way? Well, let's get into it for just a moment here. It's told in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, that uh, right before I get into the scriptures, let me do something here. I want to make sure that we're broadcasting nice and loud, that we're getting a thumbs up everywhere. Uh, Let's get to our audio. It looks like we're going through loud and clear. Hopefully on Blog Talk Radio, we're coming through loud and clear and on every other 
uh, device. So we're going to wait for some folks to join us today. A couple of real big news items that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But uh, there is a reality that we have stepped into, and we have stepped into the reality of the end times. We have stepped into a very dangerous moment in the history of the world. I mean, uh, Prime Minister Japan is shot and killed. Um, Boris Johnson resigns as a prime minister. And all of these events are happening. And again, many watchmen are seeing these things. They're talking about them. And uh, it's the idea of putting it all together and giving a proper interpretation to what we are seeing. And so we're going to get into that today. Uh, I want to thank everybody supporting the ministry. God bless you. I want to uh, they, I just want to shout out to a few people that have recently um, given to the work, and uh, Patricia and I rejoice and thank God for it because uh, it's just a very good thing when people are supporting what we're doing and sponsoring what we're doing. And I want to say thank you sincerely for your financial support. There's a thousand, ten thousand different places people could spend their money. Our hope is that when you sow into this ministry. It is our hope because of a prophetic word that was spoken over us years ago. It wasn't our word, but a woman came to us and sat in our RV and she printed out a beautiful poem and she said that we were a hundredfold ministry and she saw a golden shovel in the blackest dirt. And we always believe that. We believe that God gave us that nearly, gosh, 25 years ago, that uh, this ministry does produce a hundredfold. And it's our hope that as you sow into it, that you will reap that hundredfold. And what I love about giving and and receiving is that in the New Testament, we're told that God will take our seed that is sown and that he'll multiply the seed sown and increase the fruits of righteousness. And so in the New Testament, you have quite a blessing. You have an actual blessing if you sow dollars. You're going to reap dollars, but you're also going to reap fruit of character, fruit of that divine nature, fruit of the spirit. He says he would increase the fruits of your righteousness. That's amazing. So somehow giving is connected to a development or a cultivation or a growing in the righteousness of God. And so I want to say to everybody that has given, uh, that gave cheerfully, that gave out of much or little, and what, however it is between you and God that you took your precious seed and you sowed it into this work, and our prayer is that you will receive the hundredfold blessing for doing so. I like the way that Jesus told the disciples when Peter said, Lord, <clears throat> we left everything to serve you. And Jesus said, well, whoever's given up homes, whoever's given up land, whoever's given up husbands, wives, children, uh, whatever, whatever you've given up, shall receive a hundredfold in this lifetime and in the world to come eternal life. You see, you just can't outgive God. And that is a true reality. So this is not a broadcast to raise funds. It is a broadcast to say thank you to those who are supporting the ministry because it does cost a little bit of money to get the job done that we're doing. And we're doing it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we're being as faithful as we possibly can. And we've been doing it for a long, long time. And I believe that the majority of things that we've spoken about are coming to pass or have come to pass to some degree. 
and uh, we're just continuing to work it out. So again, thank you so much. God bless you. And I want to get into this message today. Uh, let's see, we have Selena Williams is asking, are y'all a rapture teaching church? Yeah, we teach about the rapture all the time. We don't believe in a preacher of rapture. Uh, the Bible does not say that that's truth, so we don't go there. Uh, we have uh, spent three hours with a pastor yesterday from Louisiana, and we went over the whole rapture doctrine, and we went over all of it, and uh, we both uh, came into agreement that uh, it is an absolute, uh, unfortunately, these were his words, absurdity, that millions and millions of people think that they're going to fly away in an imminent pre-trib rapture and that are beautiful people. The people are not absurd. The belief system, the, the concept, the idea is absurd, especially what we couldn't figure out. The absurdity in that particular doctrine is that every pre-trib rapture person you've ever met in your life you ask them, well, where do you find that in the Bible? And the first place they shout to is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I've read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I've read it for 40 years. And it keeps saying the same thing. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says zero about a secret, imminent, pre-tribulational rapture. It doesn't speak on it at all. It actually talks about the resurrection. The reason why Paul penned 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to walk through it, we can do that. I'd love to. And then we'll get into the meat of what we're going to talk about today. We've got a lot of time to talk about some great stuff today. So I hope you're with us for the long haul. So if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and begin to read in verse 13, uh, you get the origin of why Paul wrote the letter. And what was it? He said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, <clears throat> concerning them which are asleep. Now, that phrase right there, asleep, means that are dead. They died physically, physically dead. And he didn't want the saints to be ignorant concerning them. He doesn't begin this by saying, now, I don't want you to be ignorant about the preacher of rapture. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are going to be snatched away in a moment. I don't want you to be ignorant about... Um, you know, people that are going to imminently, any day now, uh, be swept away and disappear off the face of the earth. I don't want, he didn't say that. The whole purpose of writing this was that people would not be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. Not about themselves being raptured out of here. Their, their, the whole purpose was their concern for their loved ones who died. And so Paul writes to that concern, and he says, I'm writing that you sorrow not. So he didn't want the living believers to be sad about the loss of their loved ones. He did not want them to be sorrowful so that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. So what is Paul talking about here? He's not talking about a rapture. He's not talking about the people that were saying, what about us? What about us? No, he's talking about people who were concerned about their loved ones who died and that the believers should have hope, not in a pre-tribulational rapture, has nothing to do with that. That the believers should have hope in the resurrection of their lost loved ones. Powerful. And so Paul goes on to write and he says, for if we believe, okay, so he's writing to believers and he's saying, if we believe that Jesus died 
and rose again. Okay, so what is that? Do we believe that Jesus died and rose again? Paul's asking us, and we go, yeah, we believe that. So what is he talking about, a rapture, or is he talking about the resurrection? Well, in order to have a resurrection, you have to have a death. And so he's saying, if, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus or died believing in Jesus. Okay, that's the, that's the simplest, most accurate translation of what's being spoken here. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus or having given their lives to Christ, believed in Christ, Will God bring with him? So in other words, you lost your loved ones. Your heart is hurting. But I want you to have hope that God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dead, is going to raise your loved ones from the dead. He's going to bring them with him when he returns. Okay, so, so far, this has nothing to do with a pre-tribulational rapture. And, I, and I'm emphasizing 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because that's the chapter that everybody runs to. And, and, and Christians, without thinking, tell everybody, oh, well, the preacher rapture is over in 1 Thessalonians 4. My pastor told me it was. Well, wait a second. Let's read it for ourselves without any agenda connected to it or, you know, having to stay the course. You know, my, my denominational creed is this way. So he goes on to say in verse 15, he's going to bring an explanation now. And verse 15 is very, very powerful. You should mark it down because it has so much life to it. In verse 15, Paul wrote, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Now, he's either speaking one of two things here. Paul's getting ready to give a prophetic word. And he's going to say, This we say to you by the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And he's about to lay that forth. Or he's referencing something the Lord has said. And if he's going to reference something the Lord has said, well, that's powerful. If he's going to speak by the word of the Lord, that's powerful. So what is the message that Paul is going to share? He said, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain. Okay. We which are alive and remain. So he's not now talking about the dead saints. He's now talking about those who are alive and remain. Unto what? Unto the coming of the Lord. Unto the coming of the Lord. Now, most people say, well, there it is. The Lord's going to come and we're going to be raptured out of here imminently, any moment now. A secret pre-trib rapture. He's coming before the rapture to save us all. But I want to ask you an honest question. Tim LaHaye wrote a whole series on the rapture, Left Behind series. Movies, books, everything. Have you ever, in any of those books, in the Tim LaHaye books, or any other series of pre-tribulational rapture doctrine, have you ever seen in those books the resurrection of the dead taking place? The answer is no. There is no grave opening, earth shaking, the saints of God rising from death, and then, okay, but look at this now. He's saying, Paul, 
This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. All right, so if we're alive and remaining unto the coming of the Lord, he's, and, and then we're going to talk about when the coming of the Lord is, what the Bible says about the coming of the Lord, right? There are Urkelmais, there are Perusias, there are different places of the coming of the Lord, and they have to be put in their rightful order. But here, we which are alive and remain, all right? So for the first time in Thessalonians 4, Paul's talking about the people. Now we're alive, <clears throat> we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. What does that mean, prevent them? In other words, we're not going to go before they go. And then he explains it in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Okay? That's not secret. That's not, you know, just poof, everybody disappears. Um <clears throat> From the, so the Lord shall, himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, so he's descending, with the voice of the archangel, okay, that's powerful, that's profound, and with the trump of God, the trump of God. So we have the voice of an archangel, we are the voice of the archangel, we have the, the trump of God, we have the Lord descending with a shout. So we have a shout, we have the voice of an archangel, we have the trump of God. That's a pretty loud event, wouldn't you say, when you put all three together? I mean, that's not some, we're out of here, secret, nobody knew. I mean, you're talking about a shout, you're talking about the voice of an archangel, you're talking about the trump of God, and then, after that very loud reality, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So before, if you're going to use 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as a secret pre-trib rapture, you better include the resurrection of the dead taking place first, and you better include the trumpet blast, the shout, and the voice of the archangel. You, you need to incorporate all these things into that thinking, but every single movie, people are shopping, and somebody left. It doesn't work like that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's an event. It's a global world event. It's a shaking event. I mean, you're talking about people that are alive and remaining, and I'll show you in just a moment how, what, they're, what he's talking about, what Paul is referencing by the word of the Lord, what they're alive and remaining from, okay? So then you have all of this. You have the, the, the coming of the Lord. You have Jesus himself descending from heaven with a shout. He is with the voice of the, it's with the voice of the archangel. It's with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, in this event, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, then, after all of that, we, shall, we which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Oh, so the dead saints went up into the clouds. They left their graves on the earth. They ascended up into the cloud. Who did they meet in the cloud? Well, they met Jesus in the cloud. They were with the host, the heavenly host, and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet was sounding. So they, they're caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord where? So again, let's go through it. With the voice, so he says, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then 
we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, the dead saints that just rose and all the heavenly hosts, to meet the Lord in the air. Notice, the Lord doesn't make landfall. The Lord doesn't come onto the earth. The Lord is in the air. And the dead saints are rising up first. Then we're caught up together with them in the clouds. So it's going to be a a cloud of witnesses, the cumulus clouds. But we're going up. There's no doubt about it. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Praise God. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise God. Now, you have to get behind the scenes here a little bit deeper to come with a clearer understanding of what Paul's writing about. But before we do, did you notice, have you ever seen a pre-tribulational rapture movie or book, read one, or heard a sermon about this secret vanishing You can't find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is accompanied with the coming of the Lord. This is accompanied with angels, archangels shouting. This is accompanied by a trumpet sound, a shout. This is accompanied by the dead in Christ rising first. You don't think people are going to take note of that all over the world? And then at the very end of all of that, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord. But the key here, again, is the coming of the Lord. We who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. All right. Then we see him coming. All right. We see him in the clouds. We're going to meet him in the air. We're going up. He never makes landfall. So what one event in the Bible actually talks about this. What could Paul have been referring to when he was talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord. Well, to understand that, you just go back to Matthew chapter 24, and you read verse 29. And if we need to read chapter uh, 24, verses 1 to 28, to get some background, We certainly can, but I will assure you, you may scour it from now into eternity. There's not a hint anywhere in Matthew chapter 24 about a pre-tribulational rapture. Everything about Matthew 24 is about the last days and how the saints are going to be killed. There's going to be betrayal. There's going to be hatred. People are going to fall away, uh, flee into the mountains. There's not a hint, a smidgen of a hint. In Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24, not a hint, but there is a hint of what Paul's talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when he talks about, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we're going to read right now, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Well, when you get to Matthew 24, 29, it says this, immediately after... Did you hear it? Now, just earlier, let me just go back a little bit earlier to verse 21. In Matthew 24, 21, Jesus said, For then shall be great tribulation, 
such as was not since the beginning of the world. So he's talking about the end times, and he's talking about great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world. There's never been one like this. A time in the history of the world, there's never been one like this. To this time, what he was referring to, his time, no, nor ever shall be. So Yeshua, Jesus, is telling them about a great tribulation that is coming, that has never been, is not present, but will be, that will be like no other in the history of the world and will never happen again. In other words, if he's going to look back and if Jesus is going to say there's a great tribulation that's never been before, that means there have been events prior to. I mean, you talk about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. You talk about the days of Noah. You talk about 586 B.C. with the destruction of the temple. You can go on through history and find moments where tribulation hit the earth. Tribulation hit the people of God. I mean, it's there. There's, the Bible is rife with that. But he's talking about a time that has never been before and will never be again. 70 A.D. was not the worst tribulation to hit the earth. I think 50 million people dying of a bubonic plague was pretty bad. I think World War I was pretty bad. World War II, 6 million Jews incinerated in the concentration camps of the Nazis. Uh, 50 million other people killed. I mean, there's been some pretty rough stuff. The Crusades were pretty brutal. The Reformation, uh, where you had the, uh, the, the Vatican assassins known as the Jesuits that were cutting people in half and torturing them to death during the Reformation, during the Inquisitions, during the Crusades. I mean, these were really hellacious times. These were really bad times. Jesus said the time that he's referring to is a time that has never been before and will never be again. All right, I think we're moving towards that time right now. Bible prophecy is showing it. But I wanted you to see that. Now read verse 29. In Matthew 24, 29, Jesus said, is this what Paul was referring to? Now this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation, the great tribulation he just talked about, that has never been before, will never be again. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. So he's looking to something in the future, those days that are coming. Shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then, now when is this all happening? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. There it is. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. I'll show you that in Revelation 1-7. I'll show you exactly what he's talking about. So he says that there's going to be a sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. So his coming here is certainly not some pre-tribulational secret rapture. If all the nations of the earth are going to mourn, Okay, and there's going to be a sign in the heavens, right? So, and he shall send his angels. Again, he's coming immediately after the tribulation of those days. He, the, the sign of the Son of Man coming, okay, in the clouds. Watch this. 
Verse 30 again. Then shall he appear, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. It's a great sign. We just read about it. We'll see if we picked it up. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, all of them, so they all know something's going on. And they shall see the Son of Man, all the tribes of the earth. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Here's the coming of the Lord. Coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The voice of an archangel. A shout. uh, The trump of God. I mean, now the angels are coming. He's going to do what? He's He's coming with power and great glory. This is a magnificent scene. This is the same coming as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The dead in Christ are going to be rising. The sun is in there, the shout, the trumpet. It's all connected. But it's happening immediately after the tribulation, according to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 29. And then he said, this is awesome because this is 1 Thessalonians 4. In verse 31, he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, the trump of God, there it is, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That is the resurrection, and that is the being caught up of 1 Thessalonians. The angels are gathering together. It is the time of the harvest. But we know at this, immediately after the tribulation coming of the Lord, It's receiving those who are alive and remaining that went through the great tribulation. Why? Because he's coming immediately after the tribulation. So every time they talk about those alive and remaining who are alive, and then when the Lord comes, which is after the tribulation, the dead in Christ, those who died, are going to be resurrected, but those who are alive and remained will be caught up to meet the Lord, having not tasted death. Is there a mystery to that? Yeah, there is a mystery to that. So what do we have here? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You have a coming of the Lord. Oh, wait. First, I want to go to uh, Revelation chapter 1, talking about all the tribes of the earth mourning, and they shall see him, right? So in Revelation chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse, um, the latter part of verse 5. It says, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We know who we're talking about here. And has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Praise the Lord. What a glorious future. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold. He cometh with clouds. Didn't we just read that? Didn't we just see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we'll meet the Lord in the clouds? Didn't we just see that he comes with the clouds of heaven in Matthew 24? And in Matthew 24, Jesus said, all the tribes of the earth shall mourn and see the Son of Man coming, right? Verse 7, behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him. Same word. And they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. 
This is not anywhere a secret vanishing. Not in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, not in Matthew chapter 24, not in Revelation chapter 1, maybe 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go see if we can find it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do we find any evidence of a pre-tribulational vanishing rapture theory? Well, let's take a look. Over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, why don't we just start in verse 51. Verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. A bunch of ones and fives, right? He said this. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. Behold, I show you a mystery. Oh, thanks, Apostle Paul. Show us a mystery. I love that. We shall not all sleep. Ah, we're not all going to die? But I thought it was appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. Wait, wait, what's going on here? Well, here's a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which means die, physical death, but we shall all be changed. In other words, if there's some that aren't going to die, that means others did. So whether you did or didn't, the mystery is we're all going to be changed. The dead are going to be changed, and those who didn't die are going to be changed. Wow, what does that mean? Well, verse 52, it's going to happen in a moment. The word moment is atomos. It's where we get our English word for an atom. It's the smallest particle anywhere, and it's indivisible. So the atomos moment, it's going to happen in a moment, an indivisible moment. You're not going to be able to say, here it comes and there it goes. The change that he's talking about, the metamorphosis that's ready to happen in us from the inside out, the, the release, the change, the transformation, I mean, my God, the dead in Christ and you and I who are alive and remaining, we believe at the coming of the Lord, hopefully. Now, it's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. When? At the last trump. Here's that trumpet again. For the trumpet shall sound. Well, there's only one trumpet in Matthew 24. There's a trumpet in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The trumpet shall sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible. Now, what happens at the coming of the Lord with the trumpet? The dead rise first. Then, what happens? He says, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. That's consistent. They rise first. And we shall be changed. He's talking about those who are alive. We're not, we're not all going to die, but the dead are going to rise first by the trumpet. Now we who are alive and remain will be changed. And at that moment of change, we're going to be caught up. I, I don't think you could be caught up without being changed. But it's going to happen so fast in the twinkling of an eye in an in a indivisible moment. This is a glorious event. This is the event we're all waiting for, but somewhere along the line, somebody started telling people there was going to be this event without a resurrection, this event without a global awakening of every eye seeing him and all the tribes of the earth mourning, that somehow this is going to be some secret whimsical thing and it doesn't exist in any of these scriptures. There's always trumpets, shouts, archangels, angels being released, dead people rising, so in context, again, we shall be changed. So is there anywhere else we could possibly think about this? I'd like to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to show you the doctrine 
that was, or, or listen carefully, the doctrine that is being preached today about a imminent, anytime, I hear Bible prophecy teachers saying it all the time, I love them, I praise God, they've got excellent message on the other side of this particular thing, but every one of them, any day now, any day now, they've been saying any day now, any day now for a long, long time. But it was happening in the days of the early church as well. The doctrine of imminency, any moment now, was troubling the church 2,000 years ago. And it is certainly blinding the church today from a reality that really needs to be understood. And what is that reality? If all these comings are connected to the tribulation, and it happens immediately after the tribulation, all these scriptures that we've read, because they're all connected, then that means that people are getting ready to go through the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth that's never been before, will never be again, ever, because after this one, the Lord's returning. He's never returned before. There's never been a resurrection of the dead before, and I'm talking after Jesus' resurrection, a global resurrection. There's never been a catching away before. So this event has to happen immediately after the tribulation, and this doctrine of imminency is trying to get everybody out of here ahead of time, but so they're not prepared for what they have to face. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But let's go back here. How was Paul, the Apostle Paul, dealing with the imminent coming of the Lord? Any moment, it's going to happen. Well, let's read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he said this, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he's talking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. So the only evidence we have about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, obviously, is immediately after the tribulation. There's a shout. The Lord comes, but not on earth. He's in the air, in the clouds. There's the voice of an archangel, right? And the dead rise. We who are alive and remaining are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's our gathering together unto him. So there's no doubt that Paul is referring to that particular coming of the Lord, that main event, which happens, according to the very words of the Master, Jesus himself, immediately after the tribulation. And it is a global event. Everybody is going to know it. Everybody. Nothing secret about it. So he says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. There's the doctrine of imminency. They were all running around. Nobody was getting jobs. They weren't paying their bills. Nobody was doing anything because any moment now is coming. And so Well, I actually met a guy one time that told me he bought a brand new truck that he couldn't afford because the Lord was going to return any any moment. Well, he's still paying those bills today, I'm sure, or it's been revoked or something. But this was the doctrine of imminency. And what was happening is the people were being shaken in their mind. They were being troubled. Uh, By the spirit they were hearing behind those words, by the very words themselves, by letters as from us. People were writing letters in the name of the the apostles, and it wasn't really their letters. And what was all about? 
the coming of the Lord. Okay, the the what? He said you should, about as the day of Christ is at hand. Okay, the day of Christ is at hand. The day of Christ is at hand. Well, here's what he said in response to the doctrine. Listen carefully. Because again, we just want to speak the truth. We're just reading the Bible. We're not interested in keeping aside. Okay, but we're just reading the word of God with the Holy Spirit helping us. And it says here in verse 3, here's Paul's response. Don't get troubled. They're all telling you it's happening at any moment now. I said, listen, let no man deceive you. No man, not your pastor, not a radio host, not your whoever. Let no man deceive you. By any means. So he's talking to the Thessalonians, wake up. Get your mind. Get the truth. And here they're supposed to be feeding on apostolic doctrine, right? And the early church fed on the apostles' doctrine. So here's the doctrine of the apostles, and he's saying, listen, the doctrine we're feeding you is the truth. But there's a lot of con jobs going on out there, and there's a lot of uh, mixture, and there's a lot of perversion, and there's a lot of deception and doctrines of demons that are going to be unveiled in the last days. Many doctrines of demons. But you need to feed on the apostles' doctrine here so you won't be deceived. And what does he say? What does the apostle say? He says this. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. Well, what day shall not come? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts in verse 1. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That's going to be a great day. But he said... Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin, the Antichrist, the little horn, the beast, and we know who this is. We have an exact description of who he's talking about. We'll get into that in just a moment. But there has to be a falling away first before the Lord could come and we could be gathered to him. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Church at Thessalonica, he said, stop it with this preeminent, it's going to happen any moment stuff, and get ready. That day is not going to come, that glorious day of the return of Christ and our being gathered to him and the resurrection and the trumpets and the shouts and the archangels. That day is not going to come, that glorious day that every eye will see. Tribes of the earth will mourn. That day won't come until the falling away, the, the apostasy, the, uh, the, the oh, what do they call it? There's a word for it. The, this falling away has to happen first, and the man of sin has to be revealed. Who is the man of sin? What does he do? Listen carefully. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Or that is worship so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 
This is none other than Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, if you'll just listen to that description, and here it is. And I'm going to just pick it up in verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That's your guy. The man of sin, the son of perdition, is none other in the last days before the Lord returns and we're gathered together to him. He will come in a full manifestation of Lucifer in a body, whatever body that is, but it's not going to be an antichrist, like Brother Daniel said yesterday, an Adolf Hitler, a Nero, or a host of other people that have been antichrist. But you're now getting ready for the culmination of all the ages past, of all the men of sin past, from Nimrod to Cain, all the way back and all the way through time. Lucifer has shown himself at different times through different people. His spirit got into them. But now you're having Lucifer himself. Lucifer himself, not his spirit or his thoughts or his desires in someone, but himself, which is going to make every other ruler of the world pale in comparison for the dread reality. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you guys are getting all disturbed about any day now, but you don't understand that day won't come until the falling away happens. Why is there going to be a falling away associated with the coming of Lucifer? Well, Jesus said, going back to Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8 and 9, 10, 11, and 12 and all that, he said that the love of many is going to wax cold because iniquity shall abound. He said that people are going to begin to hate one another, betray one another. They're going to kill one another. You're going to be hated of all nations. You're going to be persecuted. But you see, the church didn't believe they'd be here for that. But he's warning them. And the reason why, let's just go back there, Matthew chapter 24. And I'll get back to Thessalonians a bit. was not what I was going to bring to you today, but it was a great question. So Matthew chapter 24, and I'm just going to pick it up in verse 9. Chapter uh, verses four through eight are all general end time stuff, earthquakes, deception, famines, wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That's all global and all over the world. Verse nine now is pointing at the disciples. Then Jesus looked at them and said, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. You're not going to be delivered up in a preacher of rapture and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's what's coming on the earth right now against the church. And then shall many be offended. Ah, 
Wow, because you're going to be hated by the whole world and persecuted? Many are going to get offended. That's the falling away. The falling away, the defection from truth, is going to happen because of the offense, and the offense is going to happen because of the persecution, because they were told they weren't going to be here for this, but now they're here for this, and suddenly they can't handle the pressure. Because remember what tribulation is. It's the Greek word thlipsis, and it means pressure, anguish, okay? So this anguish and this pressure, because people thought any day, any day, we're out of here, we're out of here, we're out of here. All of a sudden, they're still here. Lucifer shows up on the scene. He's here for three and a half years in a new world order, in a global government that we'll get to and show in Scripture. And what happens? They betray one another. They're going to hate one another. Why? Because they're offended. And because many false prophets are going to rise at that time. I mean, the tribulation, false prophets, false churches, false teachers, you know, it's another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus that was warned about by the Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth. They're going to arise and deceive many. And the people that are offended and are betraying and hating their brothers, all of a sudden are going to be going to churches being told they're saved still. I'm sure that's going to happen. And verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, that's those who are alive and remain. Every time those scriptures are used, it's about those who are alive and remain through the great tribulation. You and I are going through it if we're the generation to which it has come. If we are the generation at the end of the end of the end of the end of the ages, to whom the prophecy will be revealed, then that means the Antichrist is at the door, Lucifer is coming in full display, three and a half years of great tribulation, and what did Jesus tell the people to do? What did he tell the people to do? Endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So if you don't endure in your love, if we don't endure and we get offended and we betray and we hate, I don't care what church you go to, you didn't endure, you're not saved. He that is endured, he that endures, the same shall be saved. That's so important, and people just kind of rattle over it all the time. He that endures shall be saved. He that does not endure shall not be saved. That means during the Great Tribulation, we have evidence in the book of Revelation, untold multitudes are going to die during the Great Tribulation. There are going to be suffering persecutions all over the world, Christians are going to die. Christians are going to have their lives taken from them. Martyrs are going to be all over the world. The final generation. There have been martyrs throughout the church age, but in Revelation, in the fifth seal, the martyrs are saying, how long, O Lord? He's saying, wait, your brothers that have to fulfill this. There are more martyrs to go. That's this generation, the final one, when it comes to the prophecy of the time of great tribulation. I know it takes a bit to follow, but, I mean, this is just the word of God, right? And he talks about the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation. That's Second Thessalonians. That is Lucifer. And then it says, when you see him, flee to the mountains. And then it says, well, who's on the housetop? Don't come down to take anything out of his house. Neither in the field, turn back to get his clothes. Pray that your flight's not going to be in the winter or on the Sabbath day. That would be a bad time to flee. You've got to get ahead of this thing. When you see these things begin to come to pass, go. Get prepared. Get ready. Get out of the way. 
a new world order is coming, a new system of observation upon the masses is at the door. War is at the door. Nuclear war is at the door. Things are getting too close right now. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Things are about to be exposed. There's, there's movement. So the adversary, Satan, Lucifer, is going to release all of his forces. And the Bible says that he will overcome the saints for three and a half years. In the sense of the church won't have anything against this tribulation period. Depends on where you're going to be, how you're going to go through. But he will overcome the saints for three and a half years, Revelation 13. We'll get into that. So the bottom line to all of this is there is not one single passage in Scripture that refers to the coming of the Lord that Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation 1-7, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Matthew chapter 24, and there are others, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that day shall not come until the Antichrist comes, which will be here for three and a half years. Immediately after that three and a half year period, the Lord will return. We will be gathered to meet the Lord in the air. And that's all found in Revelation 14. And then when you get to Revelation 16, we're not here. We met the Lord. Notice, though, the Lord never makes landfall in any scripture we, we've read. He's always in the clouds. He's always in the air. We get caught up. The dead get caught up. We all rise to meet the Lord in the air. The only time in Scripture that Jesus ever comes and makes landfall is in Revelation 19, after the destruction of Mystery Babylon, the great harlot, the Babylonian system. Because in, in Revelation 13, the Great Tribulation chapter, Immediately after it, you have Revelation 14, the gathering, the harvest chapter, and that's what Jesus was talking about. And then immediately after that, in chapter 16, 15 is just a pause in the pangs, in chapter 16, God pours out his wrath. We're not appointed to God's wrath, so we are now God. We're with the Lord. We met him in the air. We're with the Lord in heaven doing something. Could be a wedding feast. Could be all kinds of great stuff, right? So we're with the Lord. Now God pours out his wrath upon the nations. Chapter 16, 17, 18 of Revelation are all about that wrath of God. And there are some people that are, don't get your robes dirty. It sounds like there are going to be some people that were left behind after the tribulation, which then the, the catching away took place. But there were some people left behind, and they're going to go through that season. And they're, they're admonished in Revelation 16, don't get your robes dirty. Very interesting. But then in chapter 19, for the first time in Scripture, the Lord returns with his armies. He takes the beast and the false prophet. He binds them up. He casts them into the lake of fire. He comes to judge and to make war. He has eyes of fire. He has a sword coming out of his mouth. The armies are with him. Now he's coming on the earth. His bride has made herself ready. He's now coming on the earth. In chapter 20, an angel is sent down to bind Satan. That old dragon, the devil, throws him into a pit for a thousand years. That's on the way. Satan knows that. He knows he has a short time in Revelation chapter 12 to do as much evil as he can with fury. That's the great tribulation period. But after that comes the destruction of his empire, kingdom, and then he himself is arrested and thrown into prison. And then begins the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. It all begins. 
It's there. It's scriptural. It's all there. And it ties together. Now, you want to keep studying things through and getting deeper and deeper into the word? Praise God. But as far as a pre-tribulational rapture doctrine, I'll tell you why it's dangerous for the very reasons that we read. People are confused about it. They're hurrying. They're waiting. They're not being responsible. And they're certainly not preparing for the arrival of Lucifer and the one world government. You can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. There's a lot to this. And these doctrines of demons that have somehow got into the church and have blinded the minds of the masses, they are not preparing. They're actually laughing at other believers who are preparing. They're actually uh, poo-pooing preparation. But I say that God's word says, prepare an ark, because the, coming of the, the days of the coming of the Lord will be like the days of Noah. Well, what did Noah do? He prepared an ark. Jesus said, flee into the mountains. There are people going into the desert. God has prepared a place for them. There's a tremendous amount of scripture that talks about preparing, and other people come against this thought, but, I mean, you can do whatever you want to, listen to whomever you want to, but the word of God tells you to prepare like the days of Noah, which means you got to get food and water and shelter. I mean, you want to be able to prepare to get off the system. God is literally foretelling the saints, whoever has an ear to hear, yeah, listen, there's a time coming. You're not going to be able to use the system as you've always used it before. So you better find another way to feed yourselves and be protected. And if you go to the right place, like a Goshen, I'll be there to protect you because I've prepared a place in the wilderness to nourish you for three and a half years. But the idea of laughing at it, raising an eyebrow, smirking, scoffing, that's not good. That happens in Second Peter. People scoffed and mocked. Where is the promise of his coming, right? So rather than doing that, why don't you just prepare every area of your life? Well, that means I'd have to leave Babylon. That means I'd have to uproot my family and my life, and I'd have to start coming out of the system, and that would be very inconvenient. Well, why don't you, while you're in it, why don't you start making preparations for the time that you do have to flee, which is getting closer and closer and closer. You want to preach the gospel? Preach the gospel. What did Noah do? He preached the gospel. He was a preacher of righteousness. The same, at the same time, he was building an ark. In other words, you have to get ready to go through what's coming. And if people are telling us that's ridiculous, you don't have to do that, that's stupid because our minds are being treated in a certain way, we could get caught off guard and find ourselves falling away at the arrival of the Antichrist because we're not prepared. Now, I do believe that the ultimate preparation of every human being throughout the history of the church age is the heart. As a matter of fact, tomorrow night I have a pastor friend from Louisiana that's coming, and he's going to minister on this very thing, the preparations of the heart. He's been studying six hours a day for the last six months, studying the Word of God about all these things. I met with him for three hours yesterday. And he's coming to New Wine Ministries, and he's going to download a word, spiritual preparation, and he's going, to, he's going to maximize the heart condition preparation more than the other preparations, but he's not poo-pooing the other preparations or uh, being dismissive of the other preparations or being critical of the other preparations. Whenever you see people become dismissive or critical about preparing physically, emotionally, right, but food, water, shelter, clothing, you know, places where you can grow food, whoever dismisses that or becomes critical of that, 
that's a danger sign right there that you're listening. Something's working there. And most likely people in the majority that say that are people who believe in the preacher of rapture, who also believe in once saved, always saved. And these are doctrines of demons that are going to disarm the body of believers. But we can bypass a lot of that by getting our hearts ready, right? But I can't imagine the heart being really cleaned up and prepared and ready and not know these other things. Because a clean heart means deception is gone. And doctrines of demons should no longer be in a clear and clean heart. So I wonder how the sanctification process is going in the life of believers all over the world. I just wonder. I'm working my own out. I'm getting and allowing the Spirit of God and the Word of God to bring the sanctification by cooperating with what Christ has already done. My faith is being employed to believe that I've been washed from my sins. The strongholds have been broken down, but I also am engaged in a deep spiritual battle with all other Christians around the world. We are in deep spiritual warfare, which is going to guide me into the Guidestones in Georgia conversation in just a moment and some other things that we need to speak and say before we go. Everything. That is coming, signs and wonders, lying signs and wonders, false prophet, bringing fire down out of heaven, a global one world government. This is what's being formed all over the world right now. And waiting in the wings, just waiting, is Lucifer. And he's making his entrance. And you get the four winds of his arrival. You can feel what's happening. We get all caught up on these, these things about, you know, hey, Roe versus Wade was overturned. Woohoo! Yay, the Georgia Guidestones were knocked down. Woohoo! Yay, J- Donald Trump's going to run for president in 2024. He's going to take DeSantis with him. Woohoo! And, and we we're kind of earthly minded in that way, ignoring the word that we once knew that America has crossed the point of no return, it's being judged, and it's going to collapse. You don't just, you know, all of a sudden, woohoo. And so people are putting their hope and they're thinking that what's going on on earth in, in all these different things, that that somehow is a victory. Could be a greater deception. If we're not careful how we're looking at things. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I mean, you know, God has spoken and the words that he spoke have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled. And let's not get all giddy about something we really don't even understand. But what I do understand in Bible prophecy is that the sins of America that are so blasphemous and so wicked and so evil have procured the judgment and the wrath of God upon the nation. That is biblical. I don't care what Roman emperor is coming to power in you know, 70 AD or 60 AD, I could care less. Or who's coming to the presidency in 2024, or who the governors are going to be in 2022. That's never, ever going to play into what is happening from the perspective of God, who has spoken to our generation. The last president said nothing against the abomination of homosexuality, transgenderism, pedophilia, lesbianism, homosexuality. Neither does this present one. Neither did the ones before them. 
They spoke out a little bit about abortion. Praise God. The last president did. Hallelujah. But the last time he became the president, it accelerated into a division. And now we've just seen more blasphemy like we've never seen before and are witnessing within our nation. And somehow we're thinking these earthly things are, are, are what is the, is the deal. But we don't interpret them properly. What is the interpretation of the Georgia Guidestones being knocked down? Two years earlier, there were pastors and coaches that had been praying for that to come down. And it came down. So prayer is a very powerful thing. It doesn't mean that America is getting better. We just went through 2020 and 2021 where Antifa and BLM went throughout this nation and knocked down statues all over the place. They took down George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. They went throughout and overturned our nation upside down like ISIS did when it went into Iraq and took all those idols down. And so these guys came in, they, sh- they shut down everything, pulled down everything. We have the Georgia Guidestones knocked down. Woohoo! We got a victory. It means something really big. Well, what it means is that some guys that prayed are going to be encouraged in their heart that their prayers were answered, that some stones were knocked down. Praise the Lord. Praise God for that. Praise God. I would like to run with the idea that the Georgia Guidestones was the globalist New World Order written in stone. It got knocked down. And then President or the the Prime Minister in Japan was shot in the back. Well, how does that tie into that? Or Boris Johnson, he resigned. He's a New World Global Order guy, maybe. Um, Or is it that both the, the representative of Japan and Boris Johnson were more uh, stable places keeping everything from collapsing and they've just been pulled out of the way. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this, that a tremendous amount of attention has just been given to the Georgia Guidestones. We used to talk about them years and years ago and, you know, keep the population of 500 million or less was the big deal. It was population, New World Order, global control, right? And it did say it. It's been knocked down. Does that mean they failed? Have the globalists failed? Then that means Bible prophecy is no longer for us. Because Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation is that everything that has begun to domino effect, the woman in travail, all of a sudden now the the labor pain is off. The labor's off. Here's how I'd like to interpret it. Can I tell you what I'd like to interpret? The Georgia Guidestones being? I'd like to interpret the Georgia Guidestones collapse as the beginning of an intense spiritual battle. Let me explain myself. I believe that that event right there, like the Roe versus Wade decision that just happened, has accelerated demonic activity. Let's just talk about America for, you know, right now, because this is all in our country or this country. Demonic activity has been stirred in a way that is more intense. Like a woman that's been in in labor intensifying her birth pangs. So the demonic activity, abortion has stopped. The guidestones have been knocked down. Somebody's praying. So now we're going to activate demonic spiritual warfare to a level that maybe we have never encountered. And I just wonder... How many people in the church are prepared for this level of spiritual warfare? 
I thank God for the pastors and the coaches that prayed. I thank God that Roe versus Wade was overthrown after 50 years of the mass murder of shedding of innocent blood. Since the 1980s, the Georgia Guidestones has been there, probably close to 50 years. But I just wonder if a few praying people have overturned these things and brought it to this moment. I wonder what's, what do they call it, the, the backlash, the, 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 the blowback? I wonder if in the Bible the devil is coming, Lucifer's coming, with fury, if these are not the very things that are going to stir that fury and accelerate his coming. Which means there are more events in the book of Revelation that have to be fulfilled, but they could happen like that. Just like that, they could go. And I wonder how many people in the church are really prepared for spiritual warfare. Because let me tell you something about spiritual warfare. I'm not an expert but I've had some in my life. And I can tell you this, when things get really demonic, when that hedge of God's protection or something, you know, that the enemy is just pounding at the door, waiting to get in and he finds an access point, or the enemy concentrates on you like Coven's. Uh, and I, by the way, I know we, we, none of us like the fact that people are thinking about us to hurt us. Uh, that's witchcraft, by the way. You get groups of people, and they put spells on you, and they're going out of their way, wasting their time, their life to hurt other people. Uh, I don't like that. God doesn't like that. And thank God they don't prevail. But I think their day is coming where it's going to be smashed, too, in spiritual warfare. But I just wanted to say that. Um, but when the enemy locks in on you, if the enemy locks in on a church, see, we've seen both. The enemy locking in on us, locking in on our marriage locking in our family, locking in our church. And when he locks in, and, and there's a word that goes out in the spiritual realm, go after them. And you would say, why would God go after a, you know, a smaller church? Because the real enemy of Satan is the true ecclesia upon this earth. And I'm talking about deeply trenched ecclesias that have been through some warfare, right? But let me tell you about the warfare. It's never comfortable. It's never easy. But if you're a warrior and you let go of all the other clothing and you put on your warfare clothes and you're ready to spend your hours and your days and your weeks and your months and your years in spiritual combat, praise God. May God grant unto you the spirit of the warrior and the lion. But when the enemy comes and you get hit, and that warfare becomes, because if you launch, your enemy is going to fight back. And you just need to be prepared for things to start happening. Unless you're at a stellar area of warfare that the enemy, and you know the covenantal promises, and you're going you're gonna to stand by those promises. But I'm just saying, don't think that you could pray and not get repercussions. But that shouldn't scare us from praying. But I just want you to know it's an intense thing. And I wonder how many believers, especially believers in churches that love to praise and worship the Lord and 
They love, you know, things, but their hearts are not sanctified by God. I don't know. I'm not the judge, but it appears that there's just a, 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 a immaturity that could get a lot of people in trouble. And that may be the very reason why the number of people that stand uh, before the throne of God that came out of great tribulation, so many people died, you couldn't number them, is because of their immaturity, but they loved Jesus, but they didn't know the spiritual battle. And I wonder if the 144,000 aren't those saints who have abandoned everything, who've grown in the spirit through time, that God has raised up to be end-time warriors, the lions that will roar louder than ever before. We're good with that. But it's also the commander of the armies of heaven. I'm going to say something to you in just a moment. The commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven, he's in the headquarters. His army's on earth. He's got angelic armies, too. He's got all kinds of hosts. He's got everything available to him. But the army, his, his army on earth, the overcomers, the saints, the church, the believers, all of them are significant. Everybody is. The commander-in-chief has to get directions, instructions, to the generals on the earth and get those, those instructions to the army. But where is the army? Where are the army? Well, every local assembly could represent part of that army. The generals, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, the generals could have a revelation from God, the watchmen, the revelation of God. The deacons, the revelation of God, God's got to get instruction down to them so that they can command the lieutenants and the colonels and the, and, and the sergeants and the, and, the, and the army. I mean, there's got to, you're in battle here. You're in warfare here. But when the instructions come and they're all different, you don't have to be in spiritual warfare. You don't have to worry about the Antichrist coming. We won't be here for that. To me, that kind of begins to sound a little cowardice. It's a little cowardice. You know, we're not going to be here for that. I don't have to fight that. I don't have to battle through that. Okay? I'm not saying that we're superheroes, but I'm just saying that make sure that that doctrine doesn't play into any cowardice because all cowards are going to have their part in the lake of fire. Right? That's what the word says. So we need instruction from the commander-in-chief, Jesus. And he's employing his angels, and he's given us weapons of war. I mean, we've got the word of God. We've got the spirit of God, the sword of the spirit. We've got the armor of God. We are dressed for battle, spiritual battle. And if those guys' prayers knock those buildings down, then hallelujah to spiritual warfare. Then the whole church should be getting ready for this kind of warfare. You and I. And all believers should be getting thoroughly equipped and fully equipped with the spiritual weapons of our war to go to battle with our words, with our mouth. Someone said that the, the pen is mightier than the sword. The pen is mightier than the sword. My tongue is as the tongue of a ready writer, said David. Your words you speak, your words are more powerful than weapons of war. Spiritual warfare, intercession, prayer, battle, war, fight but with direction. What is the direction of the prayers to save America? Everybody gets in there, but right, we're going to save America. Is that the direction that the commander-in-chief who wants to bring his kingdom onto this earth is giving? 
Save America. Let homosexuality continue. Let the states continue to have abortions. No, I believe the kingdom of God, there will be no abortion. In the kingdom of God, there will be no homosexuality. In the kingdom of God, there will be no evil. So to save America and allow the states to still choose who's going to murder and homosexuality is going to go on, what's the point of that? I think rather perhaps that the kingdom of God to be established on the earth, that there are a few things that need to happen. The, the saints of God need to be accelerating the end times, according to 2 Peter chapter 3. Hasten the day of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? It means rather than hanging out in Babylon and just praying for its protection so we can live a good life, it's probably not the strategic move of the commander. Probably what the commander-in-chief of the armies of God wants to get to the generals on earth is a message to get the church ready, like the seven letters to the book of Revelation, get the church ready for what it's going to go through because we're going to bring it on now. We're going to start opening the seals. We're going to start blowing the trumpets. We're going to start seeing the tribulation come and things are going to happen. And you get ready to go through that because right beyond that tribulation, I'm coming to bring my kingdom. And the way I'm going to come first is bring all my people out. The wrath is going to be poured out that I'm coming to deal with everything. Come on. I mean, why not move into that level of intercession? Why not move into that level of intercession? You save America, get down, you're still going to have the evil. So why not bring our prayers? Why wouldn't the commander-in-chief say, okay, do you know what time it is? It's no longer time about nations. It's time about my kingdom. I'm shifting you out of the church age mentality and works into the kingdom age. And by hastening the day of the Lord, surely my kingdom shall come. But first, these other things have to happen. So pray that you're going to be able to go through the great tribulation and be alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord. Why not? Pray for it. Pray that the events that are written in Scripture, that they will come with clarity and we will understand them so that we will be in our spirit moving by the spirit of prophecy and understanding that here is the patience of the saints. Don't get caught up in the goofy stuff. Know what time it is. What a great moment to be alive. What a great moment to be alive. I want to fight. I want a war. I want to go to battle, but I want to know who my enemy is. I want to understand what I'm fighting, who I'm fighting, where the battle must be fought. I want to understand this clearly. And I believe in spirit, soul, and body, that we are tripart beings, and God ministers to every part of us. Spiritual warfare alone will become imbalanced. You still need to eat and prepare, and you have to have solical warfare too. It's spirit, soul, and body, all three parts God wants to bring to fullness and save. Okay, So I can't neglect my soul. I can't neglect my body life, and I can't neglect my spiritual life. I'm a physical being. I walk on this earth. I live on this earth. I'm here. My, my warfare is in the spirit first. First. But I'm also 
on earth in a physical life. And I'm here and I want to live and I want to be a blessing and I want to help people. I don't want evil people coming to my house, knocking on my door, coming to our church, but it's physical. So you got to prepare physically. You have to prepare mentally. You have to prepare emotionally. You have to prepare yourself because the onslaught of the accusation, the slander of the devil is going to hit this earth. I don't think anybody's ever been a part of it the way that maybe except for Jesus himself and maybe the early church, but I don't know. This is going to be tough. He said it's going to be worse than at any other time in the history of the world. So something's going to be released. You've got to be ready for that. Spirit, soul, and body. We want a war. That's right, Jody. You cannot just stop birth pangs. This thing is in motion. And it's not about saving America. It's about all things coming to a climax and a new world order forming, and then Christ coming after three and a half years of great tribulation in that new world order. You have to understand that all nations must be broken in order for the global agenda. And even if America stayed intact, you're still going to have abortions, bloodshed. You're still going to have homosexuality. You're still going to have Hollywood with its blasphemy. I mean, in the cleansing of America, you have no idea what that would take, a Josiah revolution. But there's nobody coming for a Josiah revolution. That would mean shutting down everything. Abortion completely. Homosexuality and perversion, LGBTQ, completely. Hollywood, no more evil coming out of you, completely. And I don't think people are praying for that because the only time that this nation is going to collapse because of that stuff. So you have to understand right now what you're doing. You're preparing and you're praying. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You hasten the day and you watch and you see what's happening. You see these things and you don't get confused over these parts. You understand this part of spiritual warfare. Something's changing. Something's happening. Now, I want to share something with you that happened to me yesterday. You can do with it what you'd like, but I'd like to share it with you. I can almost, and again, I'm going to say almost 99.99%. In the headquarters of the global agenda, there's a tremendous amount of conflict in the headquarters where all the instructions are going out globally around the world in armies and militaries and governments, powers, right? Principalities and powers. There, something has happened, there's conflict, and they are going to make a mistake. Something is about to happen because of internal conflict that's going to make a mistake that's going to accelerate everything. Another shift. Another shift is ready to happen. Somebody's making a mistake, and that's awesome, because the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven, he doesn't make any mistakes. A lot of the church just moves without any instruction at all, and they make a lot of mistakes, and they suffer from mistakes. But when we get tuned in to the voice 
of the commander-in-chief of the armies of God. And we get caught up to the throne, and we hear clear instruction, and then we're released back into the earth, like the Apostle Paul was. He caught up to the third heaven, he heard things, and he came back to earth, and he wrote a lot of letters. But he didn't have the half of it, I'm sure, what he would say, because he wasn't permitted to speak it. But you see, I know that God wants to bring certain individuals to the throne. I saw it in a vision in North Carolina back in 2005 or 6 or 7, whenever it was. I was in worship, and I saw spirits of the sons of God taken to the throne of God. And they were all gathered around the throne, and instructions were given to them, and they left, and they went back down to the earth with instructions. I know this is that time. It's probably been going on for a long time. It's time for the sons of God to awake. And that's not gendered. It's time for the huias, the mature saints. And I believe that there are going to be experiences happening right now of open heavens and people caught up to the throne, just like the Apostle John, when he was on the island of Patmos, he went to the throne of God, the command center. He went to the command center. And he heard and he saw. And he gave us instructions. We, we can study these instructions. The book of Revelation is an end-time manual of final things. It's an instruction manual. He got it, wrote it in a book. The, the, the difficulty is through the language changes of 2,000 years and all the different interpretations. But by the same Holy Spirit that revealed it to him, the same Holy Spirit could reveal it to us and unveil it. And, and I believe God would be kind to do that for us. He wants us to understand the book. But you can't understand it when it's a sealed book. And he told Daniel, seal up the book till the times of the end. Many will run to and fro. But at the end time, the book opens with seals being taken away. And I believe those seals are already removed, five of them. And that when you re release those seals, it's not just one-time events. Those seals, the events continue. We've talked about that. We can talk about it again. Pure instruction. But do you share that instruction with the enemy? No. The enemy do, 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 you know, gets the code. He tries to get in there and get it, right? Stealing information. I love about Elijah. Uh, Elijah kept going into the king of Syria's room, his chamber. Well, they were given all the instruction, and Elijah kept coming back and telling the king of Israel, hey, you better watch out. They're going to do this. Finally, the king of Syria said, who keeps telling my plans away? Well, it was Elijah in the spirit was going to his chambers, getting the download, and then warning the king, and it frustrated the purposes. How about that movement right now on earth where the sons of God, the prophets of God, are going into the headquarters of the enemy and I don't know what happened, but I'm telling you, and I'm not saying I'm anything about anything. I'm just something happened in the command center of the global military. It was military, a lot of sound, and then conflict, and then a mistake made. I wonder what that mistake is going to be. My friend, my dear brother, Pastor Jeff Bass, when I told him this yesterday, that I stepped into that environment in the spirit while I was driving. I went into this command center. I heard the whole thing. I saw the whole thing. When I told him, he says, wow, you know, Joe Biden is going to Israel in a few days. Next week, he's going to Israel. 
and Saudi Arabia, the Middle East, supposedly to talk about dividing the land again and bringing the Palestinians into stuff. Could that be the mistake? Because every single time that anybody's ever tried to do that, there's repercussion, but this one may be huge. Hmm. There's a big image behind me on the screen. It's the um, picture of a nuclear bomb. Hmm. You may have differences to your beliefs than I do, and that's okay. Um, keep studying, all of us, keep studying. But to deny the prophets their rightful place right now is an immaturity. You have to be a mature prophet, a sanctified prophet, to do the things that Elijah did. You have to be a sanctified and mature vessel to carry apostolic doctrine, to be able to lay forth apostolic doctrine from the apostles. You have to be very mature to do that. You have to be sanctified as a watchman to really see into the events and bring proper interpretation to them. Every time God spoke to Ezekiel, he called him his watchman, and he says, I'm going to show you something. And here's the interpretation of what you're seeing. Uh, an immature watchman will see something and just immediately go with what people think or say. There's always a deeper meaning. And what these times demand in the ecclesia is a maturing, a maturation of the mantle, a maturing, which comes through a sanctification of the heart. As I said last, uh, yesterday I met with a pastor, Pastor Rusty, three hours from Louisiana. He's coming to speak to New Wine Ministries about the preparations of the heart tomorrow. He's going to lay down just a little word, not a big, long, just he's got a packed, concentrated message. And I'm looking forward to hearing that message because without sanctification, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. In other words, no one will perceive and recognize him, what he's trying to get to them. We cannot expect to see the things of God through a, a, a muddied vessel. There has to be a veil removal anointing. There has to be an anointing that will take the veil from the minds, and that anointing is an anointing of sanctification. Uh, you know, if everything else is going to be rapid acceleration, why not a rapid acceleration into the sanctification of our hearts, eradicating the final remnants of all the tragedies and damages that have done in the past? Deception, delusion, paranoia, uh, you know, suspicion, fear, doubt, pride. Those are veils that exist in unsanctified hearts. Because quite frankly, who cares? Be suspicious and, and, and wor about what? Be worried about what? Be afraid of what? When you're serving God, you're just doing what God tells you to do. So you just get sanctified and you stop being weirded out, right? And you get those veils out of the way. Now we could see the Lord. Perceive, recognize. What are you saying? What needs to be done? What needs to be said? Where do I go? You, you want to transport me to the throne? Great. Want to transport me into their room and hear what they have to say? Show me what they're doing so I can undermine it by the Spirit? That's what Elijah did. I mean, this could be the most phenomenal time in the history of the world for the true believers of God who have been on the backside of a desert getting prepared. I'm telling you, God is going to release something amazing 
but it's spiritual. And it's going to conflict with what's going on on this earth. To what end? To what end does the prophet go into the room of a king and hear his words? To what end does the apostle go to the right hand of God in heaven or go to the very throne room of God? To what end does the apostle Paul go in into paradise and hear things and see things that are inexplainable and cannot touch him on earth? To what end are all these things? To what end? To what end? And I'm going to tell you what I believe it is. Pray not for America anymore. Pray for the saints to be able to navigate through these times. Mm -hmm. When the, in World War II, all the movies that we saw, what happened? In World War II, they, they, they would parachute into the foreign land, right? They would all fall in Europe. They'd get off the boats. They'd get off the ships. They'd invade the land, get in there. And a lot of times they didn't know which way to go. A lot of times they were caught in the middle of a battle and they didn't know which way to turn. And they, you know, they needed to find ways and communications. They needed communication. And what the body of Christ needs right now more than anything is communication. But our communication has been kind of bogged down by the demonic interferences and by the works of the devil that have been infiltrating everything everywhere to bring some breakdown in communications. But God has to restore communication to the end-time army of God that's in hostile territory so that we can navigate to do what? Ultimately, to go through and plant that flag of the kingdom of God on this earth, which will come, it will come, after we get through this moment. A declaration. You see, right now, it's, it's overcomers going through and bringing a declaration. The king is coming. The kingdom is coming. And we made it to the mountain. We didn't die in this tribulation. We made it to the place where we were established. We made it to Mount Zion. We made it. We didn't give up. We didn't give in. We didn't take our eyes off the real goal. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know that right now God's will is not being done on this earth. I'm sorry, it's not. Mass murder of innocent blood, homosexuality all over the world, cartels, drug dealers, gangbangers, pornography, Hollywood movies. Come on, that's not the kingdom, right? You believe that. But we got to get through and say we're not a part of it. We're not a part of it. We're not, not going to get hit by it. We're not going to be overcome by it. We're going to go through. We're going to battle through. We're going to get to the other side. We're going to plant that flag firm. And it's going to wave to the kingdom and the glory and the king will come. Oh, but first, while we're going through, we have to deal with this Antichrist, this Lucifer, this spirit of I'm God, this narcissistic, unholy devil that, you know, is going to be running through governmental things on earth. I mean, evil is going to happen on earth, right? Can't do buy and sell and all that stuff. So, your ecclesia, hopefully is getting ready to parachute into really hostile territory, but you're going to have a goal, a, an instruction. Now, okay, let's say Jesus right now is in the headquarters of heaven. He's in the command control center, and he's wanting to get information to, church, to the church on the earth. What is he telling us? Freak out! Be afraid! Worry! Fight your now. No. Come on, I'm just playing. 
She's not telling everybody to get afraid and be worried. She's telling people. She's telling the church, put on your full armor. Get ready for the battle. The bombs are going to drop. The bullets are going to fly. It's going to get intense. Keep your eyes on me. I want to bring you through this moment with a witness and a testimony of my faithfulness and my glory, my power and my strength. You want us to knock down some Georgia Guidestones as we go? Let's do it. Well, while we're at it, why don't we restrict forever abortion, restrict forever the LGBTQ community? Why don't we just restrict all the other evil stuff? Why don't we, why don't we knock down Hollywood? Why don't we knock down everything that's contrary to God? We'll see. We'll see how it all goes. We'll see how it all goes. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Well, again, that was definitely not where I was going today. <laughs> I, was, I was going another direction, but that's the direction God took us in. I, I can't believe it's an hour and 37 minutes in the broadcast. Uh, questions and comments, you could call online on this Friday. If you have any questions you'd like to ask or comments you'd like to make, the number is on the screen. I'll put it there right now. Uh, it's right here. Uh, so you can dial 818-369-0326. Let's get into some of the comments that were made uh, while we've been talking here this morning. Uh, say good morning to Selena Williams. Uh, that's where it all began. Selena Williams was the first person out there, and she asked about the, uh, the rapture teaching. Are you a rapture teaching church? And I gave you my answer. Hello, Selena. Uh, Cindy Messman, good morning, Pastor Vincent. Xavier, God bless you. God bless you, Cindy. Uh Okay, Selena says, I don't believe in the rapture doctrine. Well, praise God, Selena. Uh, Sherry Penny, Tina, Angela. Okay, well, God bless. Sherry Penny, Tina, Angela. Amen. David Ellison called in this morning. Good morning. Hey, by the way, Selena, tell all your friends, and everybody listening right now, tell all your friends, all of them, New Wine Ministries, Northwest Arkansas, we're hosting the Feast of Tabernacles for our 32nd year. We will be hosting the Feast of Tabernacles. And we do it in a way that you do it the way we do it, you receive the, the, the presence the way that God does. So be encouraged about that. We want to meet all of the saints of God. Maybe it's a strategic call of God Maybe the Feast of Tabernacles, gathering God's people together in specific places, not all, um, is a strategic move of God for the times we're living in right now. October 9th through October 16th, Feast of Tabernacles, Northwest Arkansas, gather together. I am confident that the great commander is going to give instruction to the generals, and there's going to be some clarity. Remember, Northwest Arkansas. Feast of Tabernacles, October 9th this year. Put that on your list to do things, okay? Uh, did David Ellison, again, good morning, David. We love you. God bless you. Um, Jim Boltmeyer, Jim studied for a long time. Let's see what he said. He said, I believe the rapture event occurs on the seventh trumpet, which occurs in Revelation 15, 1 and 2, prior to the wrath of God dropping on the wicked. I agree with that. I believe in Revelation 14 and 15. We are not appointed for wrath. Revelation 10, 7, it clearly states that once the seventh trumpet sounds, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. This occurs in Revelation 15, 1. The seventh trumpet sounds. 
rapture occurs, then the sea of the people appear in Revelation 15:2. I love it, Jim. I love it. I think it's terrific. It's after the tribulation. Right on. All right. So, Shirley Wolseley, good morning, Pastor. Excited to hear the word today. Those with the ears, let them hear. Thank you for the truth. Amen. You're welcome, Shirley and Mike. And thank you for not only listening every day, but supporting the ministry each month. Thank you so much. It means more to us than you imagine. Danny Gonzalez. Oh, wait a second. Before I get to Danny, Jim Boltonreiter said, if you read the 22 books of Revelation in the proper order, 1 through 6, 8 to 10, and then he has the order, then overlay the three additional visions John has, a vision of the elect, 7, a vision of the nations and people, a vision of Mystery Babylon. It is a chronological book. So if you read it in this manner, it makes complete story. Read the main story, add in the three. I love that. I agree with that, too. I don't understand some of the things you're saying, but I do agree the chronological order is there. Absolutely. God bless you, Jim. Danny Gonzalez said rebellion. And then Danny said, Luke 21, 36, watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Amen. Amen. Danny, good to hear from you. God bless you. Joshua Morris, great tribulation versus greater exodus. All right. Praise God. I like that too, Josh. Uh, preach, preacher. Okay. <laughs> from Danny, thank you. Jody said, since all these world leaders are now stepping down and the Georgia Stone fell, believers are saying that no judgment is coming to America. Even famous prophets are declaring this. However, I just heard a messianic teaching at an event that is all could be the beginning of tribulation, feast of trumpets, last jubilees, etc. That's right. You got to be careful about how you interpret everything. Stacy, Stacy, who is he? I'm in New Orleans. I don't know who he is. Stacy, I believe once we are truly saved, we won't depart from God because he said he will finish what he started. I also believe in being caught up, which is the rapture before tribulation. Okay. Well, Stacy, God bless you. We love you. Uh, I gave you a full, um, complete study today. And if you didn't hear it, you need to go back and listen to it. Uh, all, sometimes we believe things that just aren't true. And I could tell you that the pre-trib rapture doctrine walks hand in hand with the once saved, always saved doctrine. Uh, we could have belief systems, but they have to be backed up in the word of God. I, help, I hope that we help today. I hope we didn't make you angry or bring any confusion to your heart. But maybe it's time for a season of real study into the word of God. Um, she says here also, Stacy, I don't believe anything will get better. It's downhill from here. I like that. I believe you're right on. But it could be better for us intrinsically and in our ecclesias where the true fellowship of God is being had. Uh, Jody went on to say, you can't just, uh, let's see, you can't just totally stop spiritual birth pangs. They may slow down, but they still keep coming. You bet. <laughs> and that's what the book of Revelation and the times we're in. It's all about a birthing, right? And you're right. All right, Jody said, Watchmen, watch in the morning and in the night. True. Danny Gonzalez gave an amen. Melissa Fletcher, Pastor Militia, one of the speakers, one of the generals that's coming to speak this fall, Pastor Melissa Fletcher and her husband, Chad, to say good morning, church, standing in prayer, watching on the wall with you. Amen. Joshua Morris. Amen and amen. Joshua Morris gave a YouTube. I don't know where it is, but uh, or what it is. Josh, send that to me. I'd like to watch it, too. On my phone, 858-864-8712. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Danny Gonzalez. Love it. 
Danny Gonzalez. My son, Daniel, also says hello. Hello, Daniel. And uh, Joshua Morris, I'm hoping to make your Feast of Tabernacles. I hope so, too, Josh. Can't wait to meet you. Danny, bring the family out. Love you guys. So all the gathering, maybe an in-gathering. It's what God called for in the feast once a year, an in-gathering, a rehearsal of the saints of God. We'll be talking a lot more about that through the summer. Um, I think, folks, we're done for today. God bless you. Um, I want to just put these banners out there, by the way. If you are in need of prayer, all right, let's say that you were listening today and you just said, you know what, I, I just absolutely need to pray. Um, how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I get some help? I'm going to show you right now what to do. Uh, there's a number on the screen, and it is. Uh, I got another call I'm going to pick up here in just a second. Let me do that first. But there's a uh, call for there. All right, area code 479-426. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Hello, area code 479-426. Okay, that's a silent number. So um, there's a number, 479-233-3774. You can call that number for prayer right now, live. Someone's on the other side of that call. If you need prayer for deliverance, you need prayer, you're in a spiritual battle. You need prayer, you're looking for direction. You need prayer. Call the number. Receive prayer. A trusted individual will be behind that number. Call it. Receive prayer. It's always there. Also, for anybody that is interested in supporting our ministry, we want to begin with you could mail in your gift. I talked about this at the beginning. If you're interested, you can go back to the uh, the beginning of the broadcast and hear what we had to say. But thank you. Uh, P.O. Box 100, Decatur, Arkansas. You could give there by just mailing in a gift if you'd like to do so. Also, you can go to omegaradio.org and give online. You could also go to our nwmglobal.org under the donations tab. And one of my favorite ways of giving is texting 41088 Omega, 41088Omega, and then type in the word give. Give these opportunities for people uh, everywhere to give and in different ways to give. And we want to thank everybody who does. And we want to thank God for this ministry and for the people that are listening. I hope today served you in some way. Get ready. We're going to enter into our Shabbat this today. Man, I can't wait just to rest. And then we're going to be meeting with our church family, 530 in Northwest Arkansas. You're always invited if you're local to come. And, of course, Sunday 2 p.m. we'll be out there. You can find us on YouTube and on Facebook, Saturday at 530, Sunday at 2 p.m. And then we'll be back on the air Tuesday, Lord willing, and let's see what the weekend brings. God bless you. Have a super blessed day. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.